Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Very excited that you're here because my guest is one of my favorite musicians of all time. You've probably heard of her if you are in sort of the DIY indie music circle because she led the path, one of the first independent artists that I knew that had scale and that used the internet in a way back in 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, unlike any other musician I had seen before. Of course, this is all mainstream now, but she braved it. She led the path. My guest is a cellist. She's a performer. She's a composer, an amazing advocate for artists' rights and in the healthcare world. And we'll discuss a little bit about why in just a second. But my guest is the one and only Zoe Keating. All right. This is also one of those full circle episodes because I think it was almost eight years ago, she was a very, very early guest on the show. We did a live performance. She played her cello and it brought people to tears, literally to tears in the room. And it was, you know, tears of inspiration and joy. Uh, such powerful music. And that was in 2012 when she was on the show. And now this episode, we go back to the same, we sit in the same exact place where she performed however many years ago that was and had an amazing conversation because so much has happened for her and for the world since then. Um, you know, every once in a while an artist comes along and captures my heart, my mind, and I don't even know this person. And I'm just like, that is different. That is special. And that was the case with Zoe. I heard her music first, um, I don't know, a couple months before she was on the show originally, and I reached out cold turkey. You know, a lot of these, the people, the guests are on the show are friends or friends of friends or, uh, you know, just they're, they're in my circle already. This was one of the few times I've just sent this crazy-ass cold email and said, you and your work are massively inspiring to me, and I would love to have you on the show. She said yes. And she could say yes in part because she manages herself. She has, she at the time had no agents on tour. She had this artist direct way of operating that I, I hadn't really seen at that time. It was very rare. I guess it was just, just starting to emerge. She came on the show, performed, and we've been close ever since. I photographed her uh, reasonably extensively. Those are her PR photos. If you see them out in the world, most of them um, I, I had the good fortune of shooting. And... In this particular episode, we cover some ground that I feel like has been a little bit absent in the show, honestly, and that is the relationship between a creator and the family, the relationship that you have between pursuing your dreams with vigor and doing everything you can possibly do. In this case, in Zoe's case, touring, a touring musician and having a family. And it gets even more fascinating, complex, and also more sad to realize when her her her, uh, her husband Jeff, amidst her career peaking, was diagnosed with a stage four cancer and did not survive. So in this episode, in addition to all the DIY artist stuff, like where she distributes music, how she distributes it, what's her ethos behind it, how she has this relationship with her fans, we also cover parenting, uh, grief, how to work your way through an emotional hard time using your art, the people in the community around you. It's just, it's a one of a kind episode. I can't wait for you to be inspired, motivated, moved. And you're also definitely gonna wanna check out her music. Um, again, the artist, the guest today, Zoe Keating on the show. I can't wait for you to hear it. I'm gonna get out of the way, but before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. Check this out, y'all. 
This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is sponsored by Creative Live for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like meh, or on the other side, if, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or, or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world on Creative Live. So again, you can visit or send your boss a link to creativelive.com slash teams to learn more. Thank you for having me. How many years has it been? Too many. Too many. We were just <laughs> laughing when... Um, when you got to show up the door, it's like, oh my gosh, big hug. Yeah. It's been five years. We just yeah. figured out it's been more like seven or almost eight. Yeah, I think that's a theme. I, I, I'm uh, I'm out on the road right now on tour doing my own shows and also with this artist, Imogen Heap. Oh, you know, Imogen. amazing. And um, she and I first toured together in 2007. And she's been telling the audience, oh, Zoe and I, we, you know, we first performed together eight years ago, seven years ago, nine years ago, ten years ago. You know, like it gets more and more. We've, I've like... It's a theme. It's a I've, theme. It's I've like, lost the ability to, to keep track of time. <laughs> time goes fast. Yeah. <laughs> One of the cool things is that it was actually you performed probably within like five square feet of where we're mm -hmm. where we're sitting right now. Um, and yeah. on that show, for the folks who haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Um, you did a private concert for us. Yeah. It was incredible. Well, this is a great place to be in, isn't it? This yeah. Is the, the, I have I have a fondness for converted warehouse spaces. So that's exactly yeah, what it is. And for those folks who are listening mm -hmm. and can't see, or mm -hmm. you probably, you know, you just, if those, even those of you, you can just see it's just like bricks and windows, but uh, it's mm -hmm. a really beautiful um, two-story brick warehouse in the mm -hmm. middle of downtown. One of the few that are left because everything else yeah. is, I mean, that's Amazon and Facebook and yeah. Google and we're, we're surrounded now. Um, yep. But it's a, it's a super special mm -hmm. space. And the, the performance that you did here now some eight years ago, However Incredible. many years ago. It's seriously <laughs> crazy. Um, but so actually, let's go. You, you're touring yeah. right now. The new album. Talk about it. Yeah, we're touring. And um, neither Imogen nor I are sort of, in a way, we've kind of removed ourselves from album cycles. Uh -huh. We're just kind of on tour because it's a good time for us to tour. And I did release an EP last year called Snowmelt. Yes. Um, and I made the decision that rather than wait to like, put together a whole collection of songs, the, the world has changed. And 
I could just do four and just release it. And I can release them whenever I'm ready. And so I thought, these four fit together. I'm going to release those. And that was last summer. Um, and uh, yeah, so now I'm working on another batch of songs. Uh, I have a film score to write over the summer. So that's probably the thing I'll do right after the tour. Wow. We're at the end of the tour now. So we, were, we went to Miami, New York, and Chicago. Seattle tonight, and yes. then tomorrow, uh, San Francisco. So. Amazing. Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah this is the, the new album, Snowmelt. Well, I think, you know, as I reflected on our original conversation, which came up, by the way, because I just stumbled on your music on the internet. It was like, it just totally rocked my world. And very few people do I reach out cold. It's usually a friend or someone mm -hmm. that I know or um, just someone who has, um, I've known for a long time and or inspired me. And this was like, heard your music wow. and, you know, reached out almost immediately. Cold Turkey, I mm -hmm. think it was to either to your agent or to your like, I think it was Zoe just, at Gmail. I think it was just my website. <laughs> yeah, I think it really was like, hey, I have this podcast yeah. and whatever, that was eight years ago before podcasts and stuff. And it was a yeah. live show too. We did it entirely live then. Yeah. Um, but that's how much uh, I was just mm -hmm. like, Stone Cold inspired. And uh, one of the things that I learned about you between reaching out, you saying yes, and sitting down together was how you have built your career. And I was mm -hmm. very inspired by it. And that was early, early Creative Live days, early yeah. for me advocating mm -hmm. for artists to be able to make a living in a life doing what they love. And a lot of tools mm -hmm. have come around since oh, yeah. then. A lot of opportunity to to democratize our ability to make a living. A lot of that yeah. stuff has changed. So I think of you as like an OG. You've been advocating for artists direct and not mm -hmm. having big music labels and all that mm -hmm. stuff for a long time. So help me walk through your thinking. Well, you know, it's interesting, again, thinking since we seem to have a theme of time passing. And yeah. and one thing is that whatever is happening right, happening right now always feels like how it's always been. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this now. And, and I tend to take for granted, you know, the steps along the way. Yeah. And um, in the world of music, like nowadays, it's pretty... It's a it's a valid strategy to to sort of forge your own path and to not have a record label and to release your music directly and just try to get on Spotify playlists or, um, but at the time when I first started it was considered radical that you might do that deliberately. Yeah, like you know, <laughs> yeah, only that was your only choice. That's what yeah. you did before. Yeah, I mean, right? I did it because I felt like you either had to be part of a big machine or you do it on your own and. Back then, it was like if you do it on your own, it was considered a failure. Yeah, like, like you only went there because you couldn't yeah. Do, yeah, the, play the game. Yeah, whereas I could see like no, actually, I, you would go that way. I chose to go that way because of control. Yeah, because I can do the art that I wanted to do, if only I set the rules. <laughs> if you let other people make the rules for you, you can't necessarily do the art you want. Um, and so those were, you know, yes, I was also rejected by the machine, but it allowed me this freedom to do what I wanted. And so when somebody said, well, this music is interesting, but I think it needs vocals. And I was like, no. You don't want me to sing. I don't, I don't want, uh, yeah, that's not what I wanted. That's yeah. not what I was going for. I was like, you know, I really think that this thing I'm making is something that is worthwhile and I want to keep doing it. And so I did it myself. And so meanwhile, here we are in what, 2019. And um, 
Yeah, that's that's like an acceptable way. Like you can just come up with an idea and have a vision and you can make your video and you can put it on YouTube and there you go. That was a huge part of our conversation however many years ago how mm -hmm. that was it was really just emerging. Ironically, the same thing was this show was mm -hmm. I turned down an MTV show and a Bravo show. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Gosh. just said, you know what, I'm just going to start doing this stuff on myself by myself. Yeah. Uh, there was some downfall there's some technological hurdles then that don't exist today. Like if I had a really popular show and it was also on video, I would get the bill. Yes. <laughs> how many people right. would, would download. That's a huge thing. Yeah. And that's yeah. mostly, you know, it's basically yeah. entirely gone away now. I, I remember when um, I had this moment in 2006 when my music went to like number one on iTunes and I it was on NPR and, and I was hosting all my audio files on my web server yeah <laughs> <laughs> melted and, it right yeah and i got like a bill yeah <laughs> from the host it was like you know bandwidth cost so i was like oh oh my goodness and yeah. then i started looking for ways to host it elsewhere <laughs> yeah you're like i don't want to have to do that yeah. anymore it's like inversely proportional you do really good you get stuck with the bill yeah like that's backwards yeah and now there's like again you know there's so many little places where you can put stuff like, yeah um well let's yeah. like at the risk of getting a little bit too nerdy or tactical mm -hmm. but i think there's a lot of people who are a lot of musicians and people who want to make audio who like how do you think about your own distribution of course mm -hmm. you make as you said very clearly you wanted to be in control of your own music you yeah. wanted to be able to play the music that you wanted where you wanted when you want to go on tour not go on tour do an album not do an album mm -hmm. talk to me about your strategy like how do you think about releasing stuff and, yeah. and what platforms do you use and like, yeah. do you do all your own recording? Do you just put stuff out every day? Like, how do you think about it? Yeah. Um, I would say that, uh, first of all, like, my process has changed a lot because I'm a mother. And so my time is a lot less than it was. And um, it still takes me the same amount of time to create a work. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that I have less time. Um, so I'll make the work, you know, and still make it kind of the same way. It's me and a cello and some microphones and... Um, do you have a studio? Do you do it in your living um, room? Do you, do you record somewhere else? I, like, I still do it in-house in, in my own home. Um, about a year and a half ago, I moved to Vermont. And so I'm doing it in a spare bedroom in my house. But before that, I had a little tiny recording studio I had built in my backyard. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just, like, record the... I have had a little bit... Um, I've done some TV work since last time I saw you. So, so I started adding some other instruments in there. But it's still the same idea. And then for my last EP last year, I thought, gosh, you know, how do you release music now? Because what format should it be? Yeah. <laughs> Where? Is it on a podcast? Is it on yeah. a, like, is it via Spotify? Is that right. your main release? Like, so do tell. Yeah. And I thought a lot about this, actually. Like, okay, CDs feel kind of anachronistic. Like, does your computer have a CD drive? No. I, no, you have to, like, plug in separately if you want it. Um, should it thumb drive like I don't know even even my computer doesn't have that USB stick anymore right. you need a dongle right. um, <laughs> downloads is a streaming and so I decided to I, I think we're still in this era of format confusion like we don't we're not totally comfortable with streaming and everything in the cloud but how do you have music physically so I just decided to make the music and make it in high quality and then release it in a myriad of ways um, so I sell them as like high quality downloads that are better than CD quality. 
I sell it as a CD, you can do the download card at a show, you yeah. can do it at streaming. It's kind of, I think, I'm trying to pay attention to where people are listening. You know, yeah. I just want it to be where they're going to find it. Um, I see a lot of artists focusing entirely on Spotify or a particular streaming service. And, I, and I've always felt like that's a mistake to only focus on one thing. Um, <laughs> you yeah. know, you know don't, don't, I never put all my eggs in one basket. <laughs> and, and, um, and it's become clear to me that I think people listen to music in different ways in different situations. So, um, so yes, I put it there, but I also still try to get across that I am an individual and there's no one between you and I, and that if you care about me as a creator, being able to continue creating, please come to me directly and pay what you want for it, pay what you think it's worth. And um, that's still where I make the majority of my, um, you know, music sale revenue yeah, is revenue. from people who come to my site, which I use something called Bandcamp. And they, um, you know, they pay $10, they pay $100, they pay $1. It's like pay what you want. It's essentially a large donation box, um, you know, and there's going to be little fish and there's whales, right? <laughs> Um, and that, that still works really well for me. And I, I think that for artists like me who are kind of outside the mainstream, that's developing your core audience and, and reaching them directly and releasing music to them is really good. I know other artists who use Patreon or uh -huh. you know, other kind of crowdfunding things yep. for that. Um, I made a decision not to do that for reasons we could go into later if you'd like. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all about it. I definitely want to talk. Jack Conti, the founder and CEO of yeah. Patreon, has been on the platform. Uh -huh. um, and uh, so I, I want to talk about that yeah. for a second. But if we can just dig down a little bit, like, is there a methodology behind your releasing music? Mm -hmm. Is it just, do you do you hit a cadence? or And, and again, we're talking yeah. about this in terms of you and your music. Right. But if you're sitting at home listening or watching, you're... Like this is true with almost all art, right? Mm -hmm. You used to have to be on a cadence. If you were an, a painter, you had to paint like a, a, a mm -hmm. show every year at yeah. a gallery. At a, right. So we're talking about you and your music, but if you're sitting, if you're me, you're like, I'm like, oh wow, this this is how I can think yeah. about it. So how do you I think, think about it? Um, I don't worry about necessarily when's the right time to release. It's like right now I have music. It's either ready or it's not ready. Yeah. <laughs> and when it's ready, I just put it out without fuss. Um, and, it's incredible. Though. And I, I'm not necessarily, well, I don't believe in the idea that you have to have it be an event. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's from a previous era. Like you're having a record release and you're going to have a marketing budget around it and it's going to make a splash and you're going to try to sell so many units in that period of time so that you can chart. Yeah. Um, I've seen for me that... Um, I think if something's good, if people like it, it doesn't age. And so if I release something last year or tomorrow, it's, it's fresh to whoever's hearing it at that I, moment. I've probably listened to Andrew <laughs> Trees 10,000 times. Wow, that's amazing. And, and <laughs> it feels, and I will play it for someone who hasn't, isn't familiar with their mm -hmm. work. And it, they're like, oh my gosh, is this out yet? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's been out for eight years. Yeah. And so the t just a small compliment there, like your work really is timeless. Oh, well, thank you. But I think <laughs> that how you think about it is really intriguing mm -hmm. that it's like 
good stuff that it, or stuff is good, then it will probably be timeless, yeah. and and you think of it as such. And that and that gets into the idea of uh, you know release schedules, or you have to release every year. And I think there are some artists who feel like it's important to them, and maybe it is important to them that they have to release on a regular basis, like you. And there are things about the technology dictating that. Like for example, there's a lot of discussion that. Spotify kind of favors algorithmically artists who release regularly. Yeah, like it. if you do it, if you the more you release, the more popular you can become, um, and uh, and it also favors short pieces. So, you know, that's like this trend towards songs are getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter, and it's, it's until they're essentially just a chorus. Right, right. <laughs> Ta da! Yeah. Dum. And um, I try really hard to not let that influence me. Like, there's something I want to do and create, and I try to have it not be for format specific. So, again, going back to my last release, it was ready. I felt like it was time. I put it out. Simple as <laughs> that's that. That's it. You know, there, there. That's that's the extent of my strategy. Let's go. Okay, <laughs> put a pin in the strategy. I got it. But let's go back to the. Why? You, you mentioned casually as a part of a, another sentence that, yeah, I was rejected by the machine. Mm -hmm. You called it the machine and you talked about it a little yeah. bit. Just, you just hinted at rejection. So was there a world and a time where you like, wait a minute, I, I'm this yeah. cellist and I want to go be on fill in the blank label. Right. And you tried to meet some people and make it happen and, and yeah. you're like, ah, oh, shucks. Or like walk me through. Yeah. Um, initially... Um, you know, I had this sort of tech career in my 20s, and I played the cello in rock bands and had played the cello in numerous kinds of bands. I had my own projects. At one point, I had five different projects I was involved in, and I loved it because I had my day job, and then every evening was spent rehearsing and making music. And, um, and so when I had, like, squirreled away making my little thing, <laughs> and it was ready, you know, I had this, this little collection of songs, um, and I knew some people in the music industry and decided to do what you did, which was you send it off with a note or a letter and hope you can get an intro so somebody could look at it or listen to it. And, and then you just hope to get some interest. And I was like hoping to get a record deal. You know, I was hoping yeah. that somebody would be interested in it. And um, I think, uh, well, I got some response which is that's saying a, something. I think up, mostly right? you yeah, probably don't be, hear anything. Abyss, right? mostly, yeah. I got some response. But the two responses that I got were, one of them was, it's very interesting, we don't think there's any market for it. And the other one was, this is really interesting, let's get you a singer, or can you sing? Um, and that was it, really. So I was like, you know, I thought, okay, do I keep trying? Do I keep trying to get this? Or do I just say, put that aside and just release it? And at that moment, um, iTunes just came alive. Mm -hmm. And it's great we're having this conversation because this week was the announcement that iTunes is now going to go away. <laughs> but this was 2004 and iTunes was new. And they had just opened up the platform to independent artists. You, before you had to be on a record label. Yeah, you had to be a label, and the label had to have yeah. a relationship with Apple. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was um, this thing called CD Baby. Yeah, yeah. CD Baby allowed independent artists to get their content up on iTunes, and um, I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. So, you know, it was like November 2004. I think I put that little EP up there, and um, that was really the beginning for me. 
Did so. you, and have you continued to, um, you talked to just a, a, a moment ago about, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So mm -hmm. how do you think about it when you say you're releasing it? Yeah. What do you like walk me through what you actually do? Cause I'm fascinated yeah. by it. Well, um, you know, so I make the music and I get it mastered and then um, I send it to all the distributor, well, all the services. I am um, lucky enough that in, in, in some cases I am my own distributor. Like I okay. do work with a distributor in order to be on Spotify. Got it. Um, but I have a direct relationship with Apple and a direct relationship with some other services. So I can just upload it. Got it. And there you go. And do you, do you promote that or do you rely on those platforms to promote your work? Um, or do you promote through touring? And I would say, um, it, that's an interesting question. I used to think that I did performances in order to sell albums. It's like the, the show is the best advertisement, you know? Yeah. And I still think that to some degree. It's just that I can't tour as much as I used to. Got it. Um, but, um, so is the music then an advertisement for your show? Because it's more rare and you, you are yeah, able they to kind of go back sell and, out and they, fill, fill They go back art. and forth, you know? Yeah. Like some people only know me as a recording artist. Some people discover the music now. It, I, I wish that I had like an information graph of like all how people discover it. You know what I mean? It'd be fascinating. Because right now this it's This is just, the information architect in you. <laughs> yeah, right? oh yeah. That was her, her, her career that she yeah, was talking about right. earlier when she had a day job. Yeah, because people... I always do a meet and greet after every concert. And one thing I like about that is that the concerts are, it's important for me to feel connected even yeah. more than ever was before. Like nowadays, that sense of connection that I get from the, from the audience that I feel connected to them is really important to me. And um, so after the concert, I meet some of the audience and it's tiring. You know, I've just had like this intense cathartic pour out my heart thing and then yeah. I'm also going to go and talk and yeah. to the audience. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, and but it's important and I do it um, for many reasons and one of them is that I hear from people, they tell me how they, they just volunteer it. They usually say, oh, I first heard you, blah, blah, blah. And um, that's the extent of my data collection really, <laughs> that and like social media and what have you. But I love those stories and I feel yeah. like they, they nurture me and make, inspire me to keep going really. Um, and so people hear it on, in a way, all the places that use my music. So there's a podcast called On Being. Okay. They use my music in their show. Lots of people find me there. Lots of people find me through Radiolab, who also uses my music. Amazing. Um, NPR Morning Edition uses my music, you know, at the top of some stories. Wow. And, uh, you know, they, they use this, this two pieces in particular that is sort of a sound of some of the stories in Morning Edition, and they have my name in big letters on the bottom, you know, so kidding. That's cool. Um, so that one, there's a TV show called Elementary, which is, um, it's on CBS, and it's, it's about Sherlock Holmes, it's a modern day Sherlock Holmes, and Lucy Liu plays Watson, and they use my music as the thinking music of the Sherlock character, and so many people after the show are like, oh, you know, I hear your music, I heard your music on Sherlock. I went to, you know, Sherlock, I went to look you up, or elementary. You know? Yeah. So um, you're putting it, and is this, act, are you actively doing this, or no, are they, it's, it's more, that's more all, pop that, culture? That's all been organic, like yeah. all those inclusions. So that's. Um, For those folks who think that organic just happens overnight, though, how long have you been doing this? I've been doing this a long time, I, you know, 2004, 2005. Okay. However, that organic is. You know, I think for an artist, you sort of create this ubiquity, 
not too ubiquitous, <laughs> but yeah. like you want to be in the like right surround sound. You want to be everywhere. Yeah, right? you want to be in the right places. Yeah, like those are all special kinds of things that I love being associated with. I feel like it's synergistic in a way. Yeah, like I'm my music is giving their show a particular sound, and then you know it reflects on me and. And then people find me, and so it it does kind of work itself out. <laughs> yeah, I just love how how intentional you are. I remember <laughs> reaching out to you. I I had had what was one of the most profound experiences of my life. I encountered a super pod of more than I don't know ten thousand dolphin, and I don't know you you may not remember this, but I yes, reached out and said I remember this <laughs> and said like hey this it was one of the most profound experiences, and I want to with this explorer friend of mine off the coast of South Africa, yeah. I want to raise awareness for ocean health. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how ocean health is so, such oh, I know. a peak, like oh, peak ocean health. Microplastics and all that yeah. stuff. Is, yeah. um, but it was really important to me back then. And you're like, absolutely, we can, you know, we figured something out mm -hmm. really quickly. And you're like, this is one of the reasons that I love making music because I love putting it in special places. I remember some, right. you saying yeah. something like that. And it stuck with yeah. me as, like, if you're going to make art, and you want it to be, you know, accompany the messages, then you might as well be intentional about the messages that you want yeah. out in the world. I, I always I do find it interesting that like the people who want to use something for something, it's it's nearly always something that I find really compelling. Yeah. Um, and then and that's another thing too, it's managing your own world, is that it's only me representing my music. So, you know, I'm not always that great about getting back to my email in, in, in a timely fashion. However, once we get there, there's nobody else to negotiate with. You know, yeah. it's like, um, so. So how, how does that affect? I think there are a lot of people out there like, oh man, I need, I need the agents and all the, yeah. in, the layers of insulation so I can just do my art and that's what I want to do. Mm. And I just, I don't want to sell. Mm. I only want to create and like, and here you are saying like, I, I want to make the art I want to make, but also like mm -hmm. there's no buffer. It's like you you right. or you go out in the crowd after your shows and you're hanging out with people who are yeah. just at your shows and you're negotiating. So yeah. how does that work? I think that's intimidating for some people, scary mm -hmm. for some people. Is it scary for you? Is it hard? Is um, it, how do you I, think about I am it? not good at negotiating. Um, I I will give everybody everything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so um, that that's actually something that I'm bad at, but. I recognize that I'm bad at it, and I do have an agent, but the agent doesn't find me licensing stuff. He negotiates. Got so it. somebody writes to me, and they want to put my music in something in now. In a television show or a movie yeah. or whatever. And he, on the other hand, loves that part. Yeah. He just loves talking the money. <laughs> you know, It's what he does best, and he does it in this really, what I call, a loving way, which, which makes it so that people are, you know, it's reasonable, it's not scary for yeah. them. And um, so... Uh, you know, if I decide it's something that I am interested in, that I'd like to be a part of, now I just say, like, Randy, I'd like this to happen. You know, this sort of a scale of licensing yeah. fees that we do. Do, you know, the, do the best you can within our scale. Within this, yeah. this scale of this kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and then he takes care of that. And then I have a, a, a very lovely attorney in Portland who very easily and quickly executes a license, and then it's done. But... Um, so the, in a way, that's like there's some things that I know I'm bad at that I've offloaded. Um, I would say that there is a cost in personal time for all that hands-on stuff. That as you get bigger, yeah, it, you know, you must know this running your thing, right? Yep. And um, I have struggled, I think, to 
to find more things that I'm not doing well because of I'm overloaded and to yeah. try to offload those. So that's actually something I'm working on right now is like I want to figure out how I can take some of those things and offload them to somebody else who might do them better so I can shine at the things I shine at. Yeah. Um, well, but at the same time, still, it matters a lot to me that you can email me about coming here and I can email back and say yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, so. Uh, no, I think this is, you just described that I think is the sort of the, both the bliss and the paradox. Right. The, like the frustration of mm -hmm. this new era. It's not just that we have tools, we can represent ourselves and mm -hmm. like all the, the, all the upside, we want all of the upside, right? We want to be able to be precious. I want it here and not here. Yeah. It sound like this, not that. I want to yeah. play in this hall, not that one. Yeah. And you've created that for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think there's this balance that I'm hearing in there that as soon as you can afford it, start finding ways that you can continue to yeah. narrow the focus of the things you're good at. Yeah. Is I that think, sort of over time or how do you, I, I, th I think that over time I have like, now I have a booking agent. So, so for example, it used to be that if I wanted to go on tour, I had to figure out what venues to play in, research the venues, call them up, try to get them to answer my emails, you know, or phone calls. And um, now I can just say, hey, I'm going on tour in Imogen Heaps Band. Can you get me dates around hers? You know, put that over there. Done. Um, and uh, so that's that's something. You know, in a way, it's like um, we have a limited amount of time on Earth. Yes. <laughs> right. And I want to maximize it. And so I recognize now that I need more than a help, help. I need more help than I have now. But it took me a while to get to even the help I have now. So. Yeah. But um. <laughs> it's yeah. But this is the this is the trap, right? This yeah. is the irony. It's like you want. Yeah. I think it's it's probably sounds like it's about timing, like knowing when you're overloaded. People right. are like I want to start out with all my agent and my people and my posse, and then you're not going to get yeah. You know, it's like sort of and, there, and there's some point like when you become. Well, I mean, I'm not an artist. I'm a professional emailer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, like you have 200 emails to do, and that's not efficient, right? Um, I think that there's. Uh, Another distinction, though, which is some people think that you need to have a posse of people working for you because that makes you look like something. And that's the wrong reason to do it. For sure. <laughs> you know, like that you need a manager because that makes you seem bigger than you are. And there's this whole thing that artists of all kinds do to appear differently than they necessarily are. And I don't care about that. <laughs> how, how? So. Is it something you've just decided never to care about? Yeah, Is I think it, so. Yeah. I, I think I've, I've tried to be upfront about the fact that I am an independent artist and that's okay. Yeah. You know, it has its ups and downs and there's pros and cons. It's not for everybody. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm an independent and that's, that's perfectly respectable. Well, as someone who was independent before, I really knew very many other people that were independent, mm -hmm. uh, especially on the music side. I think, again, we can continue. This is not just about music, right? This is about yeah. uh, like creating and living in a life, doing what you love with your creativity. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, um, it seems almost like an advantage. It's like there's this layer of authenticity that you lose as soon as you start putting cotton balls between you and your yeah. fans or your audience or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, it seems like finding that, finding that sweet spot is what right. it's all about. And almost. it's always changing too. It's always right. shifting. Like there's times when I've been just so exhausted after a concert and, you know, or if my son is with me and yeah. I've got a babysitter there and I need to like relieve the babysitter and I have to cut short the meet and greet and, or not do it. And, and then I feel kind of 
disconnected. And so it's like sometimes I think, oh, I should just, I should just cut off the meet and greet because then that would give me more time. And, you know, but then there's consequences for that. And yeah. so it's always, it's always shifting. Um, <laughs> Sorry, keep going. I oh, no, no, I can't remember what I was okay. going to say next. <laughs> Dang, my bad. It was that thing. I started thinking about my son and babysitters and all this stuff, and immediately my brain went there, and I was just Oh, like, no. <laughs> we got Is there a babysitter we're late for right now? No. no. Um, uh, well, the last time you were here, you, uh, your um, child was an infant. Yeah. Yeah, and, he, yeah, he was a year and a half. Yeah, and now yeah. nine, is that right? Yeah, he had nine. His ninth birthday was two weeks ago. Amazing. Yep. How, how, like, how does motherhood play into being an independent artist and touring and all these things? Well, I'm realizing that, you know, it is another job. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I have a tendency to just take things on and not necessarily realize, like, the, the time impact of things. And this tour that I'm on right now has actually been really illuminating for me and talking about like personal growth and you're continually trying to grow and make things better. I've had a lot of realizations on this tour. Ooh, and do tell. Well, well um, you know, I, the last time I really toured with my son, he was very small and he was more compact. He didn't have school. Um, <laughs> he was He's physically more compact yeah, and yeah, emotionally. He was, and... he was more happy to roll into our thing. Yeah. And obviously, you know, your listeners might be aware that my late husband developed cancer when my son and died when my son was four and a half. Four. Um, and so, uh, you know, touring when we were a family and it was a little easier than yeah. it is now. Um, so I decided not to bring him with me on the last four years of touring. I left him at home with family members. Yeah. Um, and so this is the first time in a long time that I've toured with him and he's different and has different needs. And I haven't really done a lot of childcare. I've mostly just tried to make my life work around it. I had some idea that, okay, I can be a mom and I can also have this full on music career and I can also do all the advocacy that I do around copyright law and this things, other, you know, groups that I'm involved in. And, uh, it's become so clear on this tour that that's just not true and that <laughs> childcare is a wonderful thing <laughs> because um, I'll, I'll try to be quick about it, but um, no, this is, so, there's no reason to be yeah. quick. We have, this is why, this is why it's long form. Um, this was sort of an experiment and I wasn't, Imogen Heap asked me to come on tour with her and I wasn't sure if I could do it. It just seemed impossible. I looked at the dates and I thought like, I can't get my mom to look after my son for that long. Like, it's too long. But it's also too hard for me to fly back. And, and I was just really struggling with this and really having, like, a crisis about it. Like, thinking, maybe I have to say no. Maybe, maybe, maybe this isn't part of my life anymore. Maybe I just have to say goodbye to that. You know, maybe I'm too old for this. And, um, and it, was, it felt like a real tragedy. And I was really... Because I love touring. I love yeah. being on tour. It's grueling and it's difficult sometimes but I love it, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it really feels like part of who I am. So, um, and, and uh, you know, she said, well, just bring him with you. You can share our nanny because she has a four and a half year old. And um, so, um, so anyway, so there's been this, it was like, okay, we'll do a mixture. Some of it, he'll stay home with my mom. Some of it, he'll come with me and we'll use the nanny. So the first show comes around and I'm just like, 
in a tizzy about like how difficult this was. And I realized that for me to be in charge of my son for the whole day until a sound check at four o'clock and then the nanny comes there and it's an eight hour day with our sound check and the show's yeah. over by like just before midnight. And it was, I was like, I am not gonna make it through this. And the, the nanny is wonderful, but it's two kids, different ages. Like she has to take them both back to the hotel and then we carry one, carry one of them back to their other rooms. And it's Tough. any parent is immediately <laughs> pictured like a logistical challenge of all this stuff. And so um, uh, I reached out to um, another musical friend, Amanda Palmer. Uh huh because she, I know, has a nanny, and that nanny has a network of babysitters around. And the nanny network. The nanny network. And I managed to get sitters in different cities. Oh, my god! And did this for the first time. Like, hired a babysitter to meet me at the venue and to hang out. And, you know, my son doesn't need a babysitter. He needs a hang. Yeah. He needs, an, he needs like, his own personal grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who can get him dinner. Uh-huh. Get him back to the hotel. And... Um, and so uh, there was, in Boston, there was this wonderful uh, young gentleman who came to watch my son at the venue, and he was an illustrator. And I realized that it's not just babysitting. There's like a network of, there's all these people out there who have something they could teach my son. And he was backstage, and they were both drawing, giving each other drawing challenges, like, okay, draw a cowboy, you know, eating an apple. Okay, okay, now you draw a house exploding. And they were having draw-offs. They did it all evening long wow. for the whole concert backstage. And, and I didn't have to worry about my son. He was, he was having a great time. And then I was free. I could take that part of my brain that is always monitoring him, and I could actually just put it over there and go up on stage. And I had a great concert. And it, I was so ecstatic afterwards, because like, this is possible. <laughs> but what it's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to put words yeah. in your mouth you're not saying, but you basically, you only learned that through trying. And you're like, I tried it, yeah. this sucks. I tried it again, this sucks, this is hard. I don't like how yeah. it makes me feel. I yeah, and I was I'm, scared about it too. Yeah. Like, I was scared about things that I think a lot of other mothers talk about, of that, of like, you know, giving my motherly duties to somebody else. I feel kind of irresponsible about it so that I can go and be applauded on stage, you know? It feels this, there's, there's always a kind of a, a self-indulgent part of being an artist that that's not all there is, but you can sort of see it sometimes that way and be like, oh, you know, am I being a good mom? Here I am on stage and my son is with some babysitter that we only just met backstage. That could sound terrible, right? Yeah. But it was actually great. He was like learning something from a new person it was a warm, loving environment. I was able to go and be myself, and then he could see me being my best self. You know, it was it was actually more. It was not less. It was not a compromise. This it was it was a plus. Isn't it fascinating that yeah. you can judge from not having <laughs> been able to do that in previous worlds? Mm-hmm. You could say, oh, I wouldn't want to do that because I'm not with my son, and because of this, and I'm going to get judged here, and I'm going to judge yeah. myself, and blah blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah. And then you can step through that fear. Yeah. You said, okay, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, Amanda knows what she's talking about, probably. I'm going to give yeah. this a shot. Mm-hmm. And then when it works, and not only does it work, but it's actually better. Yeah. It's pretty interesting to apply that to some other things in your life, right? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm my own worst critic, you know. Like, um, I'm very harsh on, on myself about how things are going as a mom, as whether I'm composing enough, am I doing enough artistic time, am I eating right, am I exercising enough? Like, is that... Is this out of tune? Like, you know, maybe everybody's this way, 
but I just, I could see how like my self-criticism there could limit me. In. What have you done? <laughs> what, what do you do? Because those, so. the imposter syndrome, the self-criticism. Oh, imposter syndrome, I forgot about that one, yeah. <laughs> in all those things, those, let's just call it, I call it our gremlins, right? Yeah. How do you manage your gremlins? Or do you just let them run rip, rip shot, rip shot? What, what's the? I'm not sure I manage my gremlins all that okay. well. There are times when I become aware of them, which is really good, because then, you know, like, like this tour, there has been things like that that I've seen. Um, I also recently got involved in uh, this group called the American Music Licensing Coalition. Ah. And uh, it was a group that was formed in response to the Music Modernization Act that passed last year. Yeah. And the Music Modernization Act um, created this uh, mechanical licensing collective, which would collect mechanical royalties for artists from streaming, what have you. And that's always been something that's really hard for individuals to do. Yeah. Um, publishers and Sony and Universal, they, they've managed to collect their mechanicals just fine. Yeah. But people like me have not always. And so this group, the AMLC, was formed and they asked me to join the board. And um, I had big imposter syndrome. Like, I don't, uh, you know. I'm the not, board? I'm what? Not, I'm not qualified to do this. If they, get, if they get the contract, which they have, they had to make a pitch to the copyright office and the copyright office is con con currently evaluating all the propositions and then all the proposals and then we'll grant it to one of the groups. Um, it felt like so big and I felt like I don't really know enough stuff. And, and then as I got into it, I realized that actually I know a lot about music licensing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been doing it for yourself for yeah. years. That's yeah. the perspective that's probably missing in that world. I think so. so. And that I am an individual and the fact that I'm an individual who's unrepresented is my strength because I know what it's like for people who are not represented, how hard it is to do stuff. Yeah, for real. <laughs> right, so, so this is like imposter syndrome. I realized, it's like, it took me a while to realize that. Um, and so, uh, you know, so I've been talking about it and there was a call just this last week with the copyright office, um, so. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. So mm -hmm. y y I, was, I was wanting to get into that a little later, but mm -hmm. since you brought it up, I, like, Part of in you know the introduction, I, I referred to you as a as an artist rights activist. Yeah. And you've been very outspoken with things like copyright and licensing. Mm -hmm. And how did you get into it? What you know? What what um, what are you currently doing? And what should we as listeners and participants in the system? Is there a takeaway for us? Well, I think I'm always interested and have been in individuals being able to do what they want to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's my story right there. If I, I want to release this music, and how do I do that? And I ended up having to do it as an individual, using tools that were available to try to, to release it. Um, and so when it comes to things like copyright and artist advocacy, it's that um, if you look at, like, if you go to Congress and you walk the halls and you know there's legislators, the other people walking the halls are lobbyists. The lobbyists are there and they are paid for by organizations and companies to represent the interests of those organizations and companies. And I just realized that individuals don't always have that. Yeah. <laughs> Who's out there representing Who's lobbying for you? For me right as an individual. Yeah. And um, I got invited, you know, once I started 
talking about the DIY world and I would be on panels and one thing led to another and I started speaking about this, that and the other. I would always be an individual and I realized I might be the only person in the room who wasn't paid to be there. Wow. <laughs> and that's why you're not hearing from a lot of individuals sometimes, like representing individuals, because yeah. it's expensive. Yep. And so I can, and I feel like it's important to just get the message out that you don't always have to have companies do everything for you. <laughs> and actually, if we don't watch out, companies will do everything. Companies will do everything for you. And that sometimes your your interests can align, you know, like sometimes you need YouTube to host your video because you can't host it yourself, right? Yeah. Um, but you and YouTube do not have the same interests. <laughs> 100 percent yeah and it's just good to always remember that and i think sometimes people forget that um you know not every company out there has your specific interests at heart and you have to stick up for them and so that's what i see as my role is to just stick up for the individual and to talk about the rights of the individual and say like hey you do have a lot of agency and this is what might work better for you and just to keep the discussion going and um, in the realm of services whether it's for video or for music or for art or I think lots and lots and lots of little competing services is great I get nervous when things start to consolidate and that's something that's happened since last time I saw you you yeah. know there's been a lot of consolidation and that there's you know we talk about music streaming it's Spotify you know we talk about video platforms it's YouTube you know and we talk about Facebook and yeah. There's some social and political consequences that have come from those services. Clearly. <laughs> so anyway, so I think it's a, it's a big discussion about like the, the power and the, the agency of an individual. <laughs> I, so. Well, I think it's fascinating that you lived it and now you're advocate. You've always been a champion, but mm -hmm. you lived it. And that's part of what made you an amazing advocate as you saw mm -hmm. the pitfalls and the... I, I also advocate, I've been to the copyright office, given talks to them, sat uh -huh. on panels and... and Tried uh, to use their website. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough, <laughs> rough. Uh, and you see that they're lovely folks, largely hamstrung by budget and yeah. lobbyists and Congress mm -hmm. and legislators and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it, do you feel like that is work that is, do you see your work more as in government or are you taking what you see in government and helping the DIY artists uh, like like yourself well there, I think there's a, I think I probably don't take this job as seriously as like as I could this could be a full-time job but there's um, there's a there's an educational role in that um, you asked me earlier how I got started and one of the one of there was a key moment when I started getting involved in the discussion about music streaming. And that was because this company called Spotify was already in Europe mm -hmm. and they were launching in the US and they have a great, it's a killer app, right? It's, it's amazing. amazing. It's like, yeah. you know, it's all the music at the, your fingertips, you can get it anyway. It's, it's a great app. What I took offense at was their marketing campaign as they were launching in the US, which was never pay for music again. Wow. That was their first. I didn't. That was their that first way. tagline, yeah. and um, and so they that was their marketing campaign. And then they were talking about, hey, the music industry is broken. Piracy has 
devastated the income of artists. We are here to save the music industry. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't think I need saving. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Yeah, and I realized that my story and the story of artists like me, independent artists who appeal directly to their fans, who are like fan supported, was not represented in that story. Yeah. Um, and that here was a company that was creating the story of the music industry because that was helping their product launch. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I felt like that's when I started saying, like, hey, let me show you how I make a living. And that was when I started publishing my earnings, which I think I did the year I met you. Yep. Um, I started publishing my, my annual earnings as though I was a company <laughs> of um, this is how much money I make from streaming, this is how much I make from downloads, this is how much I make from physical sales, live concerts, royalties, ASCAP. You know, I started doing that. Um, is this also the information architect in you? Yeah, I, th I think so. Going back to data, data a little bit of data. Yeah. Um, and I really believe that um, you know, if you don't know, if you don't know how to measure something, how can you talk about it? How can you talk about whether it's being hurt or helped if you're not measuring it, right? <laughs> Seems quite obvious. So um, I thought that in this world where people are saying, okay, yeah, the music industry is dead. You know, people can't make a living. Streaming is going to save it. And I said, you don't, the music industry is very diverse. And let me describe to you my little corner of it and the corner that other artists I know are in. And I had some idea that if I started releasing my data this way, I thought other artists would do it too. It, in retrospect, maybe I should have created a platform then to, for them to do that that would be slightly more anonymous because I realized that um, there's a lot of shame for sure, shame for artists. And, yeah, like if if people don't think they're big enough, they think they're not good. Yeah, which is those are not connected. <laughs> right. You know, the, the amount of money that you're making is not connected to how good you are. <laughs> yeah, and and also you. It's not really you. It's your art. Yeah, yeah. The good, art, that's what I mean. Right? Yeah, you art. Yeah. The art has. It, it is a mm -hmm. like it's. First of all, creativity is a habit. You get in the habit of creating the output as art. Art gets better as you get, mm -hmm. you know, more practiced. Mm -hmm. And even then, it's not a reflection on who you are. Yes, you it's know? not. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I mean, in a way, it is because you're creating it. But that you make, if you make a million dollars a year versus fifty thousand mm -hmm. dollars a year, mm -hmm. how do how do you advocate in this case to the people who are listening and watching right now? to separate those things. How did you do it? Because in the I, beginning you were making... Well, nothing. Nothing, right? <laughs> yeah. I think... Uh, well, when it comes down to like the money aspect of music, I didn't think in the beginning that I would be able to make a living at it. So when I started making a living, it was always, this is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you know? even if it's a small living, yeah. this is awesome. So that was awesome. But there was the other thing that, um, you know, as I started counting on it and needing that money, it still doesn't feel like it's my self-worth is connected to that paycheck. Um, I've made all different incomes in my, throughout my life. <laughs> and it's going to go up, it's going to go down, you know. That doesn't, it doesn't feel connected to who I am. Is that something you actively program? Or is that just a I natural think, I think state to you? I think it's just natural to me. And, and also that... Maybe going back to from when I was an information architect and a data analyst type, I think it's really interesting how something is found or is listened to. Or um, so the 
that um, aspect of like, oh, I had 2.1 million streams and I earned, you know, X amount of dollars, which is so much per stream. That was just interesting to me. Like it's sort of, I find that kind of cool and interesting. So I have maybe a slight, it's not personal. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, <laughs> it's not, it's, a business, not business lens or just an interest lens. Like clearly it's a passion yeah, or it's like it's It's almost, that part of it seems like, not a game, but it's, it's cool, it's not meaningful. It doesn't, like whether I had two million streams or four million streams or 500 streams, it doesn't mean anything to, it's not connected to my song that I care so much about, you know, like. Let's go back to, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanna go back to two things and it's related to mm. this thread that we're pushing on now. Let's talk about promotion because we, we mm. started talking about, oh, oh yeah. you're kind of like the, right. you know, does the music you play live promote your streams or al mm -hmm. album sales or direct, you said you don't use Patreon or any artist direct mm -hmm. sort of built-in software. Yeah. How do you think about the equation of promotion and um, and monetization? Yeah, talk to me about those that world for for, um, for you, the artist. I think for better and for worse, <laughs> I'm not an active promoter. I haven't uh, I haven't hired the publicity company. You know, I haven't. I haven't ever actively sought out articles. It's all been somebody chooses to write about me and they do. Um, you know, I was lucky that I got an NPR spot, like on All Things Considered at some point. Like that was, that was just pure luck. Big break. Um, but it's also, let's say, I wanna qualify that because pure luck, but you had been playing music for how long at that point? When that happened, I had- You started when you were eight. Yeah, that's so. true, that's true, <laughs> yeah. So, but, but trying to really make it as an artist, and I'm using air quotes here. Yeah. I, I, had a, I, did have a, I did have a sort of a, it's kind of a, I guess it is a strategy. It's a serendipity strategy. <laughs> and the, the serendipity strategy, sounds ridiculous, is when I was younger and had the time before I was a mother, I would say yes to everything. I kind of had this philosophy of say yes because I can, Again, because I don't have a machine, I don't have a record label, I don't have a lot of mouths to feed. I say yes because I can, and then see what happens. And that really worked for me, I think, because all those amazing opportunities came from saying yes to crazy things. It was like, say yes to crazy things. Like I wouldn't, not say yes to everything, but I would, I particularly, I particularly liked crazy things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and an example of that was, um, I said yes to, these people contacted me via email, they were um, history buffs and kind of like maker types. And they had, um, they were doing this thing for the 60th anniversary of the Trinity nuclear test, which was the first nuclear bomb. Wow. And they had made, they were doing, it was called SimNuke. They were gonna do a simulation of a nuclear blast out in the desert at 5.25 a.m., whatever time was on, I think it's July 16th of this year, of that year, to commemorate this anniversary of this nuclear bomb. And they had these big, big industrial blowers that they use in mines, and they were gonna blow diesel fuel in a circle and light it on fire to create a mushroom cloud and Whoa. do it out in the desert. And they'd been planning this for a couple of years, and they wanted me to play some music right after that moment. Part of it is that 
um, one thing about people who do explosive things in the desert is that they might cheer. Because <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, big explosion. And you yeah. don't want to cheer after it's a commemoration <laughs> of the first nuclear blast, right? Right. So um, uh, this just really felt compelling to me, even though it involved um, traveling many, 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 many hours out into the desert and then staying up all night long and then somehow doing a concert in the desert with my cello. Not it, really a cello environment, right? Yeah, and it, it seemed and really and... difficult and, you know, um, and I was like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> and part of it also was that I had this fascination with nuclear energy and nuclear bombs since I was a teenager. And I took it, that crazy idea, and I ran with it, and I just, I made a piece of music for the occasion, and, um, and then performed it live, you know, right there after the blast. And, uh, you know, everybody around me at the time was like, this is crazy, why are you doing this? You're not, you're not getting paid, you know, it's a lot of time. But then, um, got there and did this thing and Jenny Jardin from Boing Boing was there mm -hmm. and she covered it um, and then it went to NPR and that was the first time that my CD immediately went to number one on wow. iTunes was a result of that. Now that's not to say that's going to always happen when you say yes to crazy things because I said yes to many other crazy things but it, it was always like that was one of many times when something happened because I did something that was sort of, what is a cello doing here? Right. It was like, I put myself in an unusual place, which then made me stick out, really. That wasn't how I was thinking of it. But, yeah. but saying yes to unusual things was kind of a good serendipitous success strategy. That was sort of what I was doing. <laughs> the strategy of serendipity. Yeah. And it made life interesting because that, like... I always like to have, be looking forward to something like that. You know, this just makes life fun for me. Yeah. You know, that I know six months from now I'm going to do this thing, you know, I'm going to be playing in Helsinki or whatever, you know, like that. In an ice castle in Helsinki. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, unfortunately, like, I can't always say yes to things more, anymore. And it's actually one of the, I think, the sort of the, the, the tragedies of, of getting older and you realize you don't have time to say yes to everything. Yeah. And so now I can only say yes to occasional crazy things. <laughs> less, less crazy, yeah. same yeah. level of crazy, less volume. Yeah, and then I think there's a point too where it's like, how can you make your own crazy things instead of being in reactive mode? Like, I, th I think I have actually spent a lot of my career in reaction to waiting for those moments and then, and then they sort of, start creating themselves and then it's like no now I want to create those crazy things so anything crazy you're working on right now I'm, I'm thinking of some things but um, I think I need an assistant first <laughs> <laughs> I want to co-mingle three things one you talked to uh, and they're all things you've mentioned before I want to put them in a little mm. triangle and mm. then maybe you can react to them. you talked about the passing of your late husband Jeff mm. mm-hmm you talked about having a direct relationship with your fans. Mm -hmm. And as a fan, I observed this, uh, the way that you shared very intimately about that process for mm -hmm. you through music, through writing, yeah. and mm -hmm. just communication with your... Uh, and we haven't talked about That's true. that since then. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, how, like, was that... 
architected? Was it a therapy for you? Was it a muse for your music? Was it healing? Was it all those things? How, how do you think about that? And I just, as an yeah. outside observer and as someone who is an artist who is mm -hmm. very connected, we're, we're all very connected to our, our, yeah. our loved ones. And, and can you just talk to me about how, the, how you managed that process and what it felt yeah. like? I didn't think about it at the time. I just did what had to be done, you know. That came from like being a caregiver, him and my son, uh -huh. and also telling my audience what was happening. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because I, I really, I didn't blog very much since then because I feel like I kind of, that was my medium at the time. Like I couldn't travel, yeah. um, but I talked about it and I felt like I needed to talk about it. Um, cancer is an isolating experience and we lived in the woods. And <laughs> so um, it, it was just natural. It, it didn't even occur to me not to write. I just, I remember writing about it on a blog and, uh -huh. and um, I just kept doing it. And it was just sort of, it was very organic and natural. And I think actually, I've never thought about why I did that until you've just asked me that. So, but um, in a way I'm, it, it was important that I did because it told my audience what was going on with me yeah. and because I have this connection with them. And, yeah. um, and then also uh, it opened up a way for them to people to help me. Whereas if people hadn't known, they wouldn't have been able to help. Yeah. And that was huge. I mean, uh, I had a lot of financial worries at that time from medical bills and, yeah. um, and also the incredulousness of it. Like I couldn't believe what I was dealing with on an administrative level with the health insurer and the hospitals and stuff. Yeah, well, maybe we can just have like one little background on that <laughs> for the people who don't know. Yeah. Uh, your insurance rejected his initial emergency hospital stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was, uh, it was like $35,000 um, saying, you know, and it, and it has said, you and know. you have insurance to be clear. Yeah, so well, you, yeah, we had insurance. And there was a letter that said, you know, diagnosis, cancer, and it said why it wasn't covered. And so it, it was, the letter was saying that this, this hospital bill is not covered and also subsequent things are not covered. And it was just, and I, I had learned then that this was a standard thing that insurance companies would do. And then of course you fight it. And, but imagine like, it's, it's so devastating, it was so stressful. And so of course I wrote about it and I wrote about it. I think I posted a copy of the bill on Twitter. Yeah. And um, within 24 hours, I had a news crew at my house <laughs> and um, you know, the local news came over and they did this video, which I'm embarrassed to see nowadays because it's kind of, you know, it's very intense. But then the next day, the insurance company called our house and apologized and said that it was a mistake. Wow. But I've since learned that that kind of mistake happens every day in America. It's Do you believe a, that it was a mistake? No, absolutely not. That was not a mistake. The only reason it was it's, a mistake, it was that, that a news crew came over so that people became aware of it. So if the I hadn't mistake had, was that they messed with the wrong woman. <laughs> yeah, and that happens to people every day. And so, so after that, you know, then it, it became this thing of just, in a way, it was something for me to hold on to. Like I could, you know, you can't necessarily do anything about stage four cancer, but I could do something about this injustice of the bills. So, um, you know, it was, it's me trying to do something. And so in a way I see now that I was trying to 
I was trying to help something. <laughs> process <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a mechanism of processing. Yeah, to make I could make this better. I could make this bill go away. <laughs> yeah. That was what I could do. Um, and, uh, but yeah, the, the whole seven months there of just dealing with the billing and I had this system of had a spreadsheet where I'd map all the bills that came in with what had been paid, what hadn't, what I was disputing. Like it was a full, that was a full-time job. And, um, and I was just, you know, struggling, 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 struggling. And this is where it comes back to the fans, which is that um, people started donating to us. And um, I felt bad about it. it. You know, I was like, there's so many people who really need help. And yeah, I didn't, I, I'm the breadwinner of the family as the musician. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen next. No, my husband doesn't have life insurance, true. But I still felt like this sense of privilege about it. And it did help because that money allowed me to hire somebody. So I hired like a full-time person who Caregiver. could, yeah, well, who could actually, my son's preschool was half an hour away. And so there was this ordeal of like driving him the opposite direction to preschool and then rushing back to maybe get Jeff to chemotherapy and then rushing back to get him to preschool. Like, and we were in the countryside, so like the chemotherapy was an hour away, and the you know the preschool is half an hour. And so what she could do was she could drive, she could pick up medications because you have to go to the pharmacy like every day sometimes, pick up medications, just do grocery shopping, help with this administrative stuff like yeah. entering the bills. Part of her day every day was to spend an hour calling the insurance company and calling the billing the providers and wow. um, and that um, that all came from from fans, including one fan who wrote out of the blue saying, um, you know, I want to hire you a person. How much money do you think you need? Wow. Somebody who I never knew before. So. Um, There's this grace and beauty in yeah, the community. Yeah, so I'm profoundly grateful. It was, it was, um, it was like some version of crowd surfing <laughs> in a way, a horrible version of it, but um, that's, how it, that's how it felt. And then, and then afterwards, um, just letting people know what was happening, I think yeah. it was important. Do you feel like that, you, you also said, I'm gonna put a fourth point, I'm gonna turn a triangle into a square now, which you talked about being, having a very limited time on the planet. You mentioned that just through yeah. the course of conversation and mm -hmm. that's one filter through which you make decisions. Can mm -hmm. I say yes to this? I can't say yes to everything because yeah. there's only so much time. Um, clearly, that had to have an impact on you. Yeah, I think I always felt that way though. I think my music is all about that. <laughs> like, you know, my, my music has always been on some level about this aspect that like time is limited. <laughs> um, and that was just, it's probably more and reinforced now, but that's probably been a, very much a constant in, in my musical history. Um, so, and it's the, the source of a lot of songs. <laughs> was. <laughs> If, yeah. if that is the source for a lot of your songs, were, was your art a source of processing? Absolutely. Did you use music yeah. to process? I mean, my, my music is an expression of me. <laughs> it's like some other version of me, like a musical version that's of that moment. So it's like, you know, your entire history in that moment, and it's always shifting and changing. That's why I love live performance. Like, yeah. Um, so I feel like my music is an expression of that and, and, you know, for a while I wasn't able to express anything musically. It was just kind of like too difficult, too painful, too hard, you know, just, um, 
And in fact, for the first two years, like in 2015 and 2016, the only music I did was um, commissioned music because I found that I could make music if it was for someone else's project. So I did two full TV scores for two series during that time. Um, you know, and then like 20 episodes of television. This basically. long, this fast, this high, this yeah, tall, and this was, deep, this Yeah, and it was melody. still, it was a place where I could still be me, but it could be in service to somebody else's story that was not mine. Like I did feel like my story had kind of come to a little bit of a stop. <laughs> um, and um, so in a way like the, that TV work stepped in right at exactly the right moment so that I could make music for some other story, <laughs> you know? It was, yeah, as an observer, it was to have you writing about what you were processing. And if you're not subscribed to, to Zoe's email newsletter, you should, even if it's just to know when you're getting down. <laughs> but at that, at that moment, I just remember reading these such powerful words is, were you using all your faculties to process the grief? Was it the writing, the music, the fixing the spreadsheet, the deal? Like, talk to me about I'm not sure. Zoe it's, plus I'm, grief. I'm not even sure I can articulate that. You know, it's sort of, it's a process. It's like, you know, it's something that I'll live with for the rest of my life. So, um, you know, at times I, I'm better than others. But um, I would say that there's a, there's, a, there's a big sense of like needing to keep moving forward. You know, and that's true whether you've had a terrible experience or not. I think it's true for art too. Like if you, I see this with my art too. Like if I get something that really works and I just keep doing it over and over again and I'm stuck there, it might be a successful thing, but that's not great to be stuck there either. Everything moves forward. <laughs> and so part of my, this is part of life, you know, I've had an ex experience that Hopefully few will have, but every marriage ends in death or divorce, they say. Somebody just told me, and, which is dark, but, wow. <laughs> but um, you know, I just, it's, you know, you, you process and, and you move through it. It's not like um, I am everything that's ever happened to me at any moment. <laughs> And that's um, my writing, my music. I'm not writing and blogging as much as I used to. I think that there is a complexity to going through something so intense um, at this stage of my life, you know, an out of time death, as I call it, um, that is very frightening to other people and that is very hard for other people to understand. And there's so much there to talk about that process that sometimes it's easier for me to just put a little bit of a veil between me and them. And it's, it's the first time in my career where I deliberately have been holding, holding things back in a way to not necessarily tell them everything. Um, and I've definitely struggled with that. Like, how do, I, how do I like put the veil down in some places while still being my authentic self with my audience? <laughs> yeah. You know. How do you make that choice? Is it just a day by day? Is it a it's feeling? A day, is it's it a, a day by day. And I have stopped um, doing the... I've stopped talking about certain aspects of my life. Yeah. You know, just I will say. because it's hard? Yeah, it's be, hard. Yeah. It doesn't feel appropriate right now. It doesn't yeah. feel... That doesn't mean I won't always, you know. Yeah. It's just I'm not talking about it right now. Um, I do see time being a huge 
part yeah. of your journey. Songs being about time. Yeah. This is who I am right now. I am the sum of all of my things, but yeah. making decisions in the moment. Very much so. Like I'm not, there's a lot of things that I was doing five years ago that I'm not doing now. Um, that doesn't mean it'll always be that way. And I think this is part of this acceptance thing. You know, it's just accepting what I'm doing right now. This is how it is. You know, <laughs> do, do, uh, I'm going to keep evaluating it and seeing how I can improve incrementally. And I've always been incremental. Like my music is very incremental too. Like I'm making little improvements here, little improvements there, and little improvements. So, um, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not one of those artists who quickly does things. <laughs> it takes me a while. <laughs> how long did it, so Snowmelt, you released four songs. Yeah. How long did it take you to, that took me a long time because I had a whole album that was almost in the can. Um, Not the trash can. No, like in the can as in the old like <laughs> the old film can. The old film can. Okay, good. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's mm -hmm. like a that's an anachronistic <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, I had an album in the can um, that I'd been working on, and there was all these songs that were sort of about like early motherhood and all this stuff. And then after Jeff died. I didn't relate to any of that music at all. I would just listen to it and I was like, uh-uh, nope. Who is this? Yeah. <laughs> nope. And in a way, like, I don't know if I'll ever revisit those songs. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure what I'll do with them. Maybe I'll revisit them later. Yeah. Maybe I will pillage them for material for other material for other songs. <laughs> Cut and paste. Yeah. But Snowmelt was sort of um, all things that happened after all that. And um, it did take me a while because... Um, my schedule has changed so much. Like I can't just work all night anymore. Yeah. Like I used to. So, um, and then I don't have a studio anymore because I sold our house in California and moved to this rental in Vermont where I don't have a studio anymore. I've got a spare bedroom. So there's sonic issues. There was a house being built across the street. You know, it's sort of, it's like, it's creatively, creatively a difficult environment to work in. Um, kind of like a warehouse in the middle of downtown Seattle, yeah. windows where we're yeah, sitting right yeah, now. Yeah, there, there are constraints. Yes, yes. technical <laughs> um, constraints. There are constraints. And, yeah. and um, so in a way, like releasing these four songs was, these are my constraints. I can do this right now, and here it is. And uh, one of the songs is, you know, the song called Possible, which is so obviously my a song about, like, the idea that it's possible. There is, you know... It's possible I could make music again. I wasn't totally sure if I could do it. Like, I thought maybe I should, you know, maybe I should go back to tech. Maybe I should, I really had some doubts there about, you know, as a single mom, could I keep going doing this? Was this gonna be possible? Is it irresponsible of me? Maybe I should go get a, a nice job with benefits, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and then also I didn't know if I could write music creatively. like gosh, my whole career existed during my marriage, right? So do I exist as an artist without that, you know? Yeah. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure if I did. How did you find out? Um, well, I definitely did, you know? I, so. Yeah, but how did you find out? <laughs> Just by, by writing a new song, yeah. And so, so, that, that, so, so one of the songs there was, was like a new song that was... And it felt like, it, yeah, it's possible. And it was, and it happened in a very spontaneous way. It's, you know, a result to like good things happening in my life and meeting new people and just, you know, um, so 
it is possible. It's different, though. That's the thing, you know. Like, I'm not the artist that I was before, but that's always been true. Has <laughs> that been part of a benefit of bringing your community along as they, you're changing and they see you changing? So it's not like when they, it's sort of like, I only listen to the old Nirvana. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whatever. I mean, it's like, yeah. I have had uh, a couple people say, like, oh, I really like that, you know, that, that song you did, and, you know, it's off my first album, and they like, are you ever going to make anything like that again? Because that was my favorite era of yours. And I was like, oh, maybe, but I doubt it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very different person. Yeah, exactly. You know, I have a family now. and um, So, you know, it's evolving and who knows what's next, really. <laughs> Arts art advocacy, advocacy mm -hmm. for uh, the work that you did around your medical bills and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You're still doing any of that work, or do you feel like um, that also closed with that chapter? I am still doing some of it. I I, I thought that chapter was closed, and then, um, you know, in 2016, I got this out of the blue call to come speak with President Obama. It was at the end of his term. It was October of 2016, and they were he was having this thing called the Frontiers Conference, and it was kind of like his cakewalk. Like this is all the technology stuff that I care about that I've worked on, and it was like a fun thing for him, I think, to do. And, and I was like, why do you, why, why, <laughs> why me? Imposter syndrome, hello. And I told the aide who called me, I said, um, she was in the Obama administration. And um, I said, you know, the people who are on this panel you've just described to me are so amazing. And I don't know why you're including me. I said, I, I'm flattered that you've asked me, but I have to decline because that I just don't, you know, I'm not very accomplished. I don't, I'm not in the world of healthcare. And, and, um, and uh, I, I actually said, no, I couldn't do it because I was not qualified. <laughs> and, and then they said, that's exactly why you want, we want you on the panel. <laughs> and so to go back to the writing thing, what I learned was that the Obama White House, they had been reading my blog. And apparently my blog was very inspirational and they, he saw it as like this is a this is a reason why the ACA, you know, the Healthcare Act exists yeah. is this thing, and so um, so that was kind of an amazing thing. Like I, it was an idea that like whoa, this is maybe just about me. Yeah, um, advocating for something bigger. Than right. Me. Yeah. And so since then, um, I've gotten involved in um, the Joe Biden's cancer moonshot, um, and I've uh, I played last year in. Um, at the, you know, like a summit for the cancer moonshot. And, um, and this was this thing that, again, it was like right when Obama list left office, he said, you know, we're going to put all the resources that we put towards getting a man on the moon to cancer. cancer. Yeah. Um, and uh, it really... It's like Bo. Yeah, yeah and it really is a groundbreaking yeah. initiative because the, yeah. all these different, like, disciplines to work together, and that's not just medicine, you know, there's yeah. like a lot of disciplines. And, and then... The 21st Century Cures Act came out of this, which was this act to kind of, I like to say, hard code the funding into the government so that it couldn't just be taken away by subsequent administrations, to kind of like bake in the funding into the National Institute of Health and other, to other sectors. Um, and that worked in a lot of ways. And that bill was signed in December of 2016. And so I went to the White House for the signing of the bill. Amazing. Um, and, um, you know, there's been a few little things. I've done a few other little um, projects about, like, patient advocacy and just um, trying to 
it's amazing that like when you go through this process, I, <laughs> I was amazed that nobody gives you an exit survey. Like, okay, how was cancer for your family? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, can I, can I rate the, the hospitals and the doctors and the system? Can I talk about what didn't work? Is anybody going to survey me? And I, no, that doesn't happen. And so why doesn't that happen? And that was another idea that came out that some, this group called GenPop, we did a big interview and a sort of a data analysis thing. And the result of that was they said, this should become, this should come out. There should be some sort of way to um, evaluate patients and their families afterwards as, as a policy suggestions for hospitals and institutions. So, wow. Um, but you, again, it's individuals. It's all about individuals. It's yeah. about like, how can we make this better for you as an individual? Like nobody asks the individual, like how things are necessarily and what they can do to make it better. <laughs> it's a stunning impact that when you start making music in your case, mm -hmm. you start like looking around like, what am I doing here with the president? Yeah. <laughs> but it came from you starting to play the cello right. when you were eight years old mm -hmm. you never really you never really know your path, mm -hmm. but you're, you know when you're on it. Yeah, and that was, you know, the, again, the power of like an individual telling their story that you can, you can talk, I love data and I love numbers and all this, but really when you have that information and then you have somebody telling a story that connects it, then it means something to somebody who might, it might get the story across and then might cause something else to happen that eventually might create some change, I don't know. So that does seem related. I feel like all these things are very related. And the copyright stuff feels related too. Um, just this thing of um, how can you as an individual create your art and make a living from it? And, you know, I yeah. think that's, that's important. <laughs> and thank you for being such a guiding light to artists mm. everywhere for not just the advocacy we've been talking about for the last whatever mm. 10 minutes, but for blazing a path in mm. DIY creator culture, um, oh, well, making a living and a life for anybody else that I knew was doing it, artist direct and selling not just merch at their merch table, but you're uh, like having a relationship with your fans is super inspirational, has been for a long time. And I revealed this to you earlier. I, I don't have to get on a plane right now, so I get to see you play tonight. I can't <laughs> yeah, wait. Yeah, well, it'll be um, great to have you there. What's the what's the best way for people who, uh, hmm. well, most of the people I'm sure listening because you're quite popular these days, they, they know you, but for the few who don't, mm -hmm. what's the best way for people to stay in touch or watch or follow? Um, I think, and this is true for I think everything, if you love something, find the source. So if you're interested in my music or interested in any other, just go to their website and join their mailing list. <laughs> and that's, I have zoekeating.com, I have a mailing list there, and it's just me and the, you know, the people who sign up, and I will do my best to protect that information and not give it to Cambridge Analytica oh <laughs> or like any other company, you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. keeping that direct thing, so, um, yeah. Zoekeating.com, and so. you're Zoe Keating pretty much everywhere on the internet? Yeah. Zoe Keating, Zoe Cello. Zoe Cello, that's right. Yeah, sometimes people can't remember the Keating part, so so just Zoe Cello will also find me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so yeah. much well, for coming thank you, back Chase. here after for a few years yeah. after a hiatus. Can't wait to see you again tonight. Um, well, thank you for having me. You're in such an inspiration as well, and you know, yeah. So thank you. Appreciate you being <laughs> on the show, and for for y'all, make sure to check out uh, Zoe's music, her website advocacy and stay tuned for another episode hopefully tomorrow.
All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm gonna go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just wanna say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that, that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.